What's up, everybody? I am, uh, this is the first podcast that I'm gonna try to record a video for too and put it on YouTube as well as obviously launching it on audio. Before I jump in, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody that has rated the show in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. There's absolutely no way I'm, in addition to like doing the recording and editing of these, that I'm also going to have time to like market the show and like grow the the, the listener base. So ratings really help. Please rate the show or tell a friend. Uh, I know it's been a minute, missed you guys. I My last episode was my third episode. I My New Year's resolution was to do 10. So I'm <laughs> maybe behind pace a little bit. Is that a dog barking? There is there is a dog in my neighborhood or in my in my neighborhood in my building that hates sirens. So every time like an ambulance goes by, it always decides to like add to the cacophony, which is lovely. But we love his name. I think his name is Leo. We love Leo, so it's fine. Yeah, the first three episodes of doing this podcast actually taught me quite a bit. For one, my episodes <laughs> most of them were like I think the average length of the first three was like an hour and like nobody listens to more than 35 minutes, 30, 35 minutes. So in addition to that, the the hour long episodes also took me a ton of time to do. It probably took like 10 to 12 hours for each hour of audio. I, I realized that if I wanted to make recording easier than I was going to have an editing easier than I was going to have to like seriously spec out, you know, beyond even an outline, exactly what I wanted to say, almost like I was writing a talk for each episode. And then Trying to do trying to do like two of those a month, 10, 12 hours each. Yeah, good, good luck. I also just wasn't feeling particularly inspired to keep going with like part two and part three of the the fundraising theme. I'll revisit it, don't worry. Today we're gonna do something a little different. I want to talk about something not related to startups or work. One time I there, somebody asked this question on Twitter. It was like, what's the best advice you could give to people in their 20s or something like that? And I shared I responded and I shared my my quick philosophy around how to make difficult decisions, relying on like your intuition. And it got a lot of likes and people were people actually seemed to really, really like it. So I want to expand on on that, you know, those times when, and I think especially these happen obviously throughout our whole life, but especially when, you know, as I've been going through my 20s, there's a lot of those times when there's like seemingly two or three options and you have just no idea which path to take. What city do I want to live in? Who do I want to, who do I want to spend, you know, the rest of my life with maybe what should I take this job? Should I not those kind of decisions? And I want to talk about the role that intuition plays or could play in those choices. I talked about this in the the episode about time management, but the summer after my freshman year of college, a friend and I, uh, his name is Zev, got an internship at HubSpot. And in our free time, we basically just spent all of our time working on this app. Uh, it was called Mummify. It had like the interface of Bitly, the link shortener, but instead of just shortening the link, it would also save a copy of that website so that if the website ever went down, like 404, the link broke for whatever reason, our link, the Mummify link, would invisibly redirect to a saved, the saved version of it, the cached version. So it was pretty cool. And it like we we worked on it probably for four or five months, starting at the beginning of our internship. When it came time at the end of the summer to go back to school, I 
quickly got bored of classes and decided it would be cool to drop out and work on this app that Zev and I had built. And I would work at HubSpot part-time to kind of fund my life, but otherwise I would just be working on this app. And we, we launched it to like not, not that much fanfare and pretty much within a couple of weeks after dropping out of school, I decided to go full-time at HubSpot. It was a cool opportunity. HubSpot is, is a marketing piece of marketing software. It helps people do their emails and keep track of their contacts and set up their blog and their website. They were launching a, for the first time ever, they were launching a product for salespeople to compete with, with Salesforce. They were launching a CRM. And I was in charge of figuring out what it was going to look like and how it was going to work. So it it was a cool it was a cool experience. You know, I got to like learn about the world of sales. I got to like work with a really small team within HubSpot, which is a bigger company. And we we planned on launching this CRM at the end of the summer at HubSpot's annual conference. It started off really fun. I think by the by the start of summer, I was feeling like pretty discontent with where with with work. Maybe it was boredom. Maybe it was just feeling a little burned out of like the the focus that I was uh, that I had on this product, but you know I was feeling like this was a pretty normal adult job. This experience, if I if I wanted to come up back to HubSpot, you know I could do that during internships while in college, or I could even just come back, you know, after I graduated. And I started wondering, like, you know, what would it be like to go back to school and give up real world responsibilities, go back to being a kid, you know, just kind of not having to worry about like post-grad things. I imagined changing my major to something like quite unpractical, <laughs> uh, like like philosophy. And I started to have these thoughts and it was like, became a, became a, a bit of a recurring like inner conflict. Like, what should I do? Should I stay at HubSpot? Should I go back to school in the fall? Or should I do something else entirely? If, if, like, if this sounds like an incredibly reasonable like line of thinking for somebody in my position, you know, back then, it definitely, I'm definitely describing it now with the benefit of hindsight. When I was like trying to figure this out as a 20 year old, I was like, I knew I wasn't happy with where I was, but I definitely didn't know if, you know, the right answer for me at the time was to, to stay and find my Zen at HubSpot or to go back to the place where, you know, I had just left the previous fall because I was, I was bored and was curious about, you know, what it'd be like to work on a startup. It, it definitely didn't feel straightforward. And I, I definitely talked to, I t- definitely talked to like my parents about it. I'm sure I don't remember like any specific conversations, but whenever I do tend to encounter like a fork in the road where it's like, I don't really know what the best decision is. And it's something I'm struggling with. I definitely tend, as I'm sure everybody does to bring it up with like friends and, and people in my life. And I don't know, have y'all, have y'all ever talked, have y'all ever had this happen where you, you talk to people and then it's like everybody seems to have a slightly different take and like the conversations are useful in like fully fleshing out all the different reasons to and not to do something. But at the end of the day, you're kind of just left with like a longer pro con list. (laughs) I feel like, I feel like people are well-meaning, but they, they do tend to kind of like, while the conversations are helpful, I don't know if they actually do help like get you to certainty per se. So yeah, I was kind of just a little lost at sea. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. A few months before this, I had been reading this book. Actually, my first trip to San Francisco, I was reading on the plane out here. And the author describes going to a seven-day meditation retreat in the mountains of Massachusetts. I was in school in Boston, so I was like, oh, that's interesting. And it 
it was seven days of not talking and essentially just meditating the entire time. I had never meditated before, but I had always been intrigued by, by it and wanted to try it. And I also like, as somebody who's quite a talker, <laughs> I was like intrigued by the challenge of not <laughs> saying anything for seven days. So this book inspired me to try to go to this exact same center that he had gone to. And, and I, there was this young adult retreat, like smack dab in the middle of the summer. And it was waitlisted, but I joined the waitlist probably like two, two months before it started. And um, didn't dis- yeah, didn't hear back that I had gotten off the waitlist until like two or three days before the retreat was set to start. So yeah, I decided to go. <laughs> you know, aside aside from the obvious of like showing up at a seven-day meditation retreat, never having meditated before. <laughs> I also decided it would be a good idea to drive my moped to this retreat. I had a moped in Boston that I used to get around. And it was like a two-hour drive. I don't know what I was thinking. I thought it would be possible to like map a route where, you know, on Google where you can say like avoid highways. And I didn't consider that like when you're, you know, when you get 45 minutes to an hour out of a city, like every road is a highway. Like there is those like two-lane highways. There's still trucks. There's still, you know people are going fast. So by the time I actually rolled up to this retreat on my moped, I was like, I was not in a good place mentally. I was extremely anxious. <laughs> but the first day, the first couple of days, as you can imagine, like going from living my normal life to like doing nothing except for meditating and being silent, it was pretty miserable and painful, all the sitting and just adjusting to that was awful. But by the middle of the retreat, say day three or four, it started to click. And I, I would describe the the way I would describe like what happened is I was just way more sensitive all around. I was much more attuned to my surroundings. Everything kind of took on this like new sheen of, of beauty. Like I would look outside and the light would hit, you know, the, the, the yard in a certain way. And I'd be like, Oh, that's so beautiful. (laughs) It, It was a type of meditation called Vipassana, which I feel like Vipassana and transcendental meditation are the are the most popular types of meditation in the US, but transcendental meditation you your anchor is a mantra. So you if you notice your mind wandering, you go back to saying a phrase, like thinking a phrase. Whereas vipassana, which is what this retreat was, you have three anchors, sound, so listening, body sensations, so like just like, you know, what am I, what is the sensations that I'm currently feeling through my hands or through, you know, my, my butt as it's like sitting on the ground, the pressure there, or the third is, is your breath. During that week, I definitely thought about this like conflict of should I stay or should I go? Should I leave HubSpot or should I go back to school? But I, it, you know, it wasn't like I ever got to any like kind of conclusion about it. I, I never solved the problem. I wasn't in the point of the retreat, right? Wasn't to sit there and solve it. The point was to like continually redirect my attention back to the present moment. You're basically just practicing focusing on something. After the retreat, which by the way, leaving a meditation retreat on a moped is also a terrible idea. After the retreat, like I didn't, I didn't notice a specific point in time where this had shifted, but the conflict of like, should I stay or should I go? Right. It no longer felt that pressing and no longer felt like that it, it was a source of stress for me. It wasn't really coming up that much. Instead, in its place was this feeling like, you know, kind of, I just knew that it was the right choice for me to go back to school. I knew that what was best for me was to go be a kid again and like, you know, change my major to something less practical, 
and just follow that kind of follow the line of thinking that I had had toward the beginning of the summer. So that experience taught me, taught me something about, you know, making hard choices that kind of informs my philosophy on it today. And it's to approach the, the making of a decision, a hard choice in two phases. One, collect inputs. So do research, talk to people, even like, you know, make lists in your head, collect inputs to help guide your intuition, and then create space to, so that you can hear what your intuition is trying to tell you. And in writing this episode, I was thinking about, I was thinking about like, what is intuition exactly? And I think there, I'm obviously not an intuition like researcher, but I think there's two types of knowledge. You can know something intellectually and then you can know it emotionally. A classic example is, you know, when you're learning about startups, everybody tells you to launch your MVP quickly. You're, you're launch the initial version of your product incredibly fast because the likelihood that you just imagine something that is on its first try going to be the thing that people love and like, you know, it starts to naturally like grow through word of mouth, like without any iteration is, is obviously crazy. But the classic mistake is that every team, when, when every, every entrepreneur, when they're building their first product takes way too long because they want it to be perfect. And this is exactly what happened to Zev and I, like we envisioned a tool that was like really simple it didn't need, it was essentially just like a text box that returned a line of text. It didn't need to be that fancy. And yet we spent like four to five months before we launched it on product hunt to like extremely minimal fanfare such that I basically moved on or like, yeah, quit working on it like a couple of weeks later. And of course, after that, like after that experience, I now understand that lesson emotionally. Like I, I've been, I was burned by taking way too long to build our MVP and like feeling like it was a waste of time to do all that because it never went anywhere. So now of course, like I, that, that experience forms my intuition on how uh, I think about and, and act toward, you know, launching something new. And I don't, I don't think it's as simple as, you know, you do have to actually make every mistake and live through every experience for something to actually become a part of your intuition. Part of the reason why I love reading memoirs and biographies is that I think you can, you know, live vicariously through the experiences of others and like learn from, learn from the, you know, decision making that they describe and the, the cause and effect of their life path and like what, what they went through and, and the struggles they had. And I think, yeah, fiction books too, like, where you kind of are experiencing indirectly like the the struggles, the love, heartbreak, loss, grief that the characters experience. I think that, you know, if the book is really good and resonates, you know, that also can become a part of your intuition. It can make you potentially more empathetic. It can increase your emotional intelligence without you having to actually experience any of that stuff yourself. So that's one of the reasons I reasons I love reading, and I don't think that's it's specific to reading. I think that's probably it probably applies to like all forms of art and consuming art. So, although like I couldn't tell you anything specific from say like a, a biography of Abraham Lincoln that I read like ten years ago, I know that it it helped shape the way that I I make decisions and think about things. Intuition is crazy, like you we as humans can be presented with like an incredibly com complicated situation on like extremely short notice and our brains can make a guess about how to proceed in an instant. And 
depending on how old we are and our experience with like a similar situation, like we can make a pretty good, like instinctive, quick guess as to how to proceed. When people talk about the wisdom of age, they're really talking about like this person's intuition, their, their knowledge has been formed by so many life experiences because they've had a lot more at-bats than, than, you know, somebody younger. And I mean, of course there's, there's such a thing as blindly intuiting something, right? Knowing something with little actual foundation, like informing that intuition. And that's why I think like phase one of making hard decisions where you're like giving your intuition a lot of inputs ahead of making a decision is actually, yeah, it's really important. It's a good thing. And like, like I was talking about earlier, like when you, when you're researching a decision and you're talking about it with friends and family, the negative way to interpret that is like, you're kind of putting the, putting the onus of the decision on them. You can't decide. So you're seeking advice from others. And I, I don't think of this as so much like we're relying on others to decide for us. I view it as like, yeah, like let's, let's give our intuition as much like fodder as we can. Other people are really helpful to help do, you know, cause they have different realities than we do. So, you know, they're like, well, did you consider A, B, and C? And did, did you, well, I know, you know, they'll be like, oh, okay, well, I know you. And I feel like this, this seems right knowing you. And then maybe somebody else says something completely different. And so it's like, but all that stuff, you know, does help. It, it, it's like relative. Yeah. Like, especially relative to like how consequential the decision is. Like, obviously I wouldn't call my friend and ask, you know, what, what flavor milkshake does he think I should get? <laughs> Although that would be kind of funny, you know, is if it's one of those choices that like choosing one path will set you on a different path, you know, you'll live in a different place. You'll have a different job. You'll, it could potentially impact your career, your life. Those are the ones where I do think it's important to like seek out and, and discuss and unpack with people that you trust. And yeah, like making, making those lists, thinking about it logically, like do the pro cons, do a couple writing prompts, do some research, try to talk to people that have made the choice that you're about to make before you, if, if, if you can find them. I think the reason why a lot of people struggle with decisions is they, they just do phase one. So they, they're trying to basically solve the, solve the problem by rationing their way or yeah, reasoning their way through it. So if I can just think about this enough, if I just talk to enough people and get enough diverse perspectives, then I will all of a sudden know what to do. And that's why I think, and that, I mean, to me, that doesn't work. The more I think about it, the less I honestly know what's right. <laughs> and, and it becomes this like even greater mental block. And, and that's why I think part two is essential. I don't think that we can hear our intuition on big decisions amidst the, the hustle and bustle of our, of our everyday life. In fact, like, the times when I have a big decision looming, it actually like tends to increase my, my anxiety around it because, or just general anxiety, because I'm like thrown off balance by that uncertainty, you know, like I know a change is coming and I don't know exactly what is best. And like the, the effect of like the, the anxiety, right. I'm like picking up, I'm using my phone more. I'm on social media more. I'm like probably getting less good sleep, not making as like healthy choices as I probably should. And my, then I'm like increasingly not in a good mental, you know, space to like actually make the decision. Well, I wrote this line, <laughs> which I think is so stupid, but it's kind of a good metaphor, I guess. Trying to make a smart decision against this mental backdrop is like walking into a studio to try to paint a masterpiece and finding every inch of the studio, which yesterday was perfectly white and clean, all of a sudden covered in graffiti. Maybe some people would still create an amazing piece of art 
with with a studio that's an absolute mess. Not me. <laughs> so I think, you know, the times when we have a big decision looming, I think it requires us to break out of our routine and create space for us to think. Taking a day or two off of work or school, taking a weekend and not doing anything social, spending the whole day alone, not having anything planned, going on walks, journaling, sitting there and like daydreaming or just like trying to be bored basically, maybe doing some like menial tasks around the house. I do believe that if you've given your intuition enough information, when you actually do finally quiet down and create space to think, an answer will emerge without you having to try very hard. What felt like this stressful conflict will no longer feel that way. And you will simply know what previously, you know, seemed unknowable or, or difficult. So I think intuition is freaking cool. I think about it a lot. I think about trying to build like free time slash like empty space into my normal day to day, because, you know, even though I don't have like large existential conflict every single day, like there are constantly times when I should be and want to be making decisions like from my intuition. And so, yeah, I try to, I try to have like a daily meditation practice and like go on walks throughout the week and just like generally spend time with myself as much as I can, because I do think that helps me make better, better micro decisions too. Hey, so <laughs> I just came back to the microphone because I forgot to tell you guys how the story ended. After all of that, going back and forth, trying to figure out what the F was the right thing for me. I, I did go back to school. I did change my major to philosophy. And that lasted for probably about a month <laughs> before I was like, no, I do not want to be in school. This is, this is a complete waste of money and time. And so I dropped out. And then again, and then luckily, like, fine, like I think, thank God I did that because I, I probably would always wonder for the rest of my life, like, was that the right decision? Or like, you know, should I go back to school? And having dropped out twice now, there's no doubt in my mind that that was not the place for me. <laughs> but yeah, after that, I, I kind of dropped out with no plan. I didn't really have a plan for like the next year until like I got a call from my friend that ultimately led to to us starting Curtsy together. But yeah, it was a lot. It was a year of of trying to figure out what the hell I wanted to do with my life. So yeah, <laughs> not to say that if you if you get through the decision-making process that you're out of the woods because you're definitely not. <laughs> okay, I will probably get back to normal startup programming here shortly. But uh, yeah, if there's a topic that you ever want me to cover, please DM me on Twitter or email me at david at sltpod.com. If you like this episode, as always, please rate the show five stars in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And I will talk to you guys soon. Bye.